Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today. We are winding up our series that has been entitled Common Christian Problems. And today I'm going to kind of reverse that and talk about how not to deal with common Christian problems. And specifically, uh, a twofold suggestion. Number one, evading reality is not the way to deal with common Christian problems or trying to help people deal with them. And the other thing to avoid is excessive drama about common Christian problems. It's a balancing act dealing with reality but not going overboard with excessive drama about those realities. Now, might ask the question, why did I do such an extensive series on common Christian problems? I think we've had something like two dozen episodes on common Christian problems. Well, the answer is rather simple, and I've said this several times, but it needs to be heard again. The reason I did it is because all Christians have problems. All Christian marriages and families have problems. It's not a secret. No one's excluded, including myself. And there's a certain danger we can get from advertisements for certain religious books or particularly when attending uh, Catholic conferences. Now, I am all for Catholic conferences. They're extremely good at awakening faith in the spiritually dead. It's a great opportunity to bring friends and family back to the practice of their faith or to kind of reignite a commitment to practice your faith. But always watch out for the but. It's very easy when you go to a, a big conference and the speakers are called Catholic celebrities or Catholic personalities, kind of the image of superhero speakers. Those who know me um, no, I really don't like this stuff. I think it's toxic to the spiritual life of those hearing such people, and it's toxic to the speakers themselves. It's fatal to their spiritual life. But, you know, if you're he hearing something where somebody's put forward as a big Catholic personality, you leave thinking, well, woe is me. I don't have it together like they do. Let me let you in on a secret. There isn't a Catholic layperson or clergy that has it all together, period. That is life on earth, and we don't always get that truth coming through when we go places. Now, I'm going to quote a Barna survey about Catholic priests and what they regard as one of their major challenges today and offer what I think is a very good solution. Barna surveyed Catholic priests and found out that three-quarters of Catholic priests agreed that reaching the younger audience is a major issue facing their parish today, and nearly half of those Catholic priests surveyed consider it the top concern facing their parish. So I am going to share with you a way to 
catch and keep the attention of millennials and Generation Z, in case you don't know who that is. That's the younger crowd. And actually, this isn't my uh, idea as much as C.S. Lewis. I was reading C.S. Lewis's book. It's actually a collection of essays entitled God in the Dock. And it was right as we were coming to the conclusion of this series dealing with common Christian problems that I encountered a chapter entitled The Sermon and the Lunch. And C.S. Lewis first describes a sermon that he hears this preacher give, and then he actually has visited this preacher's home, and it wasn't exactly the way he described it in the sermon. But let me begin. The preacher started off by saying that if there's one place where life's difficulties can be escaped, it's a place where temptations and corruptions uh, basically don't touch us. It's a place kind of of magical charm that was almost automatically bound to produce happiness and virtue. Now, C.S. Lewis says what he was thinking when the preacher said that. The trouble isn't that the preacher is insincere, but that he is a fool. He is not talking from his own experience of family life at all. He is automatically reproducing a sentimental tradition, and it happens to be a false tradition. And this is why the congregation have stopped listening to him. He said that as soon as this preacher started talking like this, C.S. Lewis noticed at least everyone under 30 years of old stopped. He said, for all practical purposes, the sermon was over and the coughing and the shuffling and all that began. And he's saying, you know, <laughs> this, this is a nice picture he was painting. But then C.S. Lewis visited this preacher's home for lunch, and it wasn't the place that he was describing in his sermon. And the preacher had said, well, you know, home is that one place we can just uh, cast all cares off and just be ourselves. And this is what Lewis says. There was nowhere this side of heaven where one can safely lay the reins on the horse's neck. That means just let go of the steering wheel, so to speak. It will never be lawful simply to, quote, be ourselves, unquote, until ourselves have become sons of God. And he advocates we need to abandon sentimental eulogies, and that includes broadcasts and books and homilies, and begin to give practical advice on the high, hard, lovely, and adventurous art of really creating the Christian family. Here's why I thought Lewis was so perceptive, and particularly why he fingered, and this was written decades ago, but he fingered the idea that those under 30 were just turning this off. Why is that? Well, uh, in Lewis's day, the breakdown of the modern family was 
underway, and it's done nothing but progress since then. And I dare say every person in any Christian church, Catholic or Protestant, has either faced firsthand the harsh realities of family life and marital breakup, or has close friends who have gone through that experience, and they've heard an earful. And so what these people need isn't the sentimental notions of family life that even this preacher, when Lewis went to his house for lunch, he was rather bombastic, lecturing his kids on subjects he wasn't really skilled in, interrupting people and everything. He was being himself. And Lewis says, no, we don't let ourselves go. We need the grace of God to control and guide our tongues, our actions, our behaviors, and most of all, in the realm of family life. And what young people need who have heard about all the negative stuff going on is not unrealistic dreaming uh, because they know it's not true, but they do need hope in the face of reality. And sometimes uh, marketing hype about some marriage retreat or or relationship book uh, sets people up for a fall. Uh, We need the realism that goes with that. I'm just going to give you A real-life example of one of the hardest things that I know about, and that's natural family planning, uh, particularly at men's conferences. Uh, I had for a good while a speaker from a national organization promoting national family planning come to the Catholic men's conferences that I was organizing and speaking at and such, and would give them just a few minutes to uh, give an invitation to a class uh, on natural family planning available for the men present along with their wives. And initially, you started hearing these glowing um, uh, (laughs) remarks about how wonderful it is to the relationship and this and this and that. And the way he did it, I I knew what was going through men's minds. He was saying how wonderful it is that they're basically not having marital relations at certain times. And I I, I shared with him afterwards, I said, this isn't the way you're going to get through to men. You need to tell them that this is tough, but it's the moral thing to do. And if you do it, you can reduce selfishness in your marriage life that creates all these conflicts. You can reduce the divorce rate because divorce is so fatal to your fatherhood in so many instances. And give it straight up. Give it realistically, not in a glowing fashion. And this is one subject that I've seen in broadcast and books and everything else that goes overboard as far as the sentimental view of it rather than the hard truth. The the hard truth is there, but it's worth it. And you just show people that it is worth it, particularly for the sake of their fatherhood, their motherhood, their marriage, their family, and keeping their family together, they will engage. So what I would call realism while at the same time, and this is just as important, avoiding excessive drama about marriage and family life. So I'm talking about a balancing act 
And I think Lewis nailed it in our public presentation of married life and different aspects of it. I'll even say in relation to natural family planning, it's it needs to be talked about, but in such a way that's an engaging realism that gives hope in the face of the widespread breakup and failures of marriage that young people saying, yeah, this is tough, but this is good. This will help support your marriage. Now, on the other hand, what I'm cautioning is what I call uh, excessive drama when it comes to parenting, married life, and family life. Uh, The New York Times had an article and I liked the article title. It was The Great Parental Pity Party. Now, see, this is going overboard, which I call hyper-realism. I advocated encouraging, engaging realism, a positive realism that shows it will actually help families achieve what their goals are, but the hyped-up realism is something totally different. Uh, A writer by the name of Ruth Graham, writing for The Slate, described the great parental pity party as this. It's seen in the endless stream of blog posts, status updates depicting the messy, tedious, nightmarishly life-destroying aspects of parenting. Well, you know what this does? Scaring young adults away from marriage, motherhood, and fatherhood. If I could just put things on pause just for a minute. A lot of you are pretty concerned about the outcome of the next elections. And you know one of the primary factors, whether or not there's going to be a pro-life vote or not in the next elections, it will be the presence of a child in a home with a married couple. That will make for a pro-life vote. And anybody who's hyped realism is discouraging marriage and family life is working against the pro-life movement. So I would suggest shutting down some parental pity party you see on social media, Instagram, Facebook, or wherever. I think it really needs to be called out. Yes, you can have the realism, but you need to have the hope, the positive aspect, and support family life through the realism rather than tear it down. Now, this Ruth Graham, writing again for the Slate, mentions a blogger by the name of Heather Armstrong, who has been writing about the nightmares of parenting and family life for a decade. And she says that the New York Times estimates she could be earning at least a million dollars a year from her downbeat, depressing family blog. People eat this up. Don't eat this stuff up, okay? There are struggles in family life. That's why I've done two dozen episodes on common Christian problems. I could probably do two dozen more, but I think two dozen is a good chunk right now, okay? But we try to do things where showing there's solutions. There's ways that Christ can heal and change and transform, not just blasting it with such negativity. Now, this writer who's criticizing the great parental pity party, Ruth Graham writes very perceptively, writers like Armstrong are pushing back against a long and damaging history of mothers 
having to pretend that parenting is nothing but bliss, a trend that is still going on strong in Instagram and Facebook. In other words, pretending that it's all bliss, it's uh, kind of a Disneyland experience, um, you just do this or that, and everything is glowing, and and a lot of aspects that are presented for marriage or f- parenting, it just overpromises. And this happens in pulpits, religious articles, Christian conferences, book marketing, various, um, I don't want to call people out, but they're hyping it. And most people very quickly if they're married, come up against the realities that, no, this is tough. This isn't bliss. This is tough. There are challenges. There are problems. Okay, There are also solutions, but you just by putting problems out there, people get overwhelmed and tend to throw in the towel. I want to escape from this. That's not helping people. And so, you know, overpromising causes the overreaction of those like the parental pity parties going on where there's nothing but negativity going on. Now, I like to share just a personal note in this, and I'm going to be as honest as I can about this. Karen and I raised eight kids, and I know it was very challenging, and here's why I know it. (laughs) I look at my grown children raising their children. And so far, none of my grown children have the same number of kids that Karen and I have had. And yet I watch what they go through having, you know, just coming visiting us and all the stuff, (laughs) all the gear that comes along with kids, all the needs, Uh, you know, somebody gets sick and the, 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 the schedule, finding time for yourselves. And I look at this, and honestly, I'm very honest in this, I just think to myself, how did we do it? I, I can remember, like, I took my kids out to a restaurant. We either had to go to a very modest restaurant or kids eat free. <laughs> we were there. But in any case, we had people dining in restaurants watching us, and come out and watch us leave. They wanted to see what kind of car we drove in order to get everybody in to be able to get home and such. But I I look back and wonder, how did we do it? And for some reason, and I know there were stresses. I know there were financial stresses. I know there were health challenges. uh, There were problems. But I seem, and Maybe others have had this, maybe others have not, but it seems to me like I have had a frontal lobotomy. I, I can't remember all that, and the only thing I can, when I can remember this, is watching my grown children with all the challenges they have, with less kids that were in our family that we raised. And so I wonder, how did we get through that? Yeah, it was challenging, but at the same time, it meant that uh, there must have been some overwhelming things that causes that to kind of recede. In other words, it was worthwhile. Are we really hearing that? Uh, and this is where I think we need to have the, the clear proclamation that marriage 
and family life is tough. And according to C.S. Lewis, if you want the under 30 crowd to listen to you, that's where you start. And without getting dreamy about it, real life, bare knuckle solutions to problems to give hope for marriage and family life. So people don't have to just go on the, uh, the drama, parental drama stuff and say what, everything is wrong. Um, here's a couple of things that uh, I remember. And again, I can't remember all the stresses. It's not like I stay up late <laughs> thinking about them. They have faded from my active memory. Maybe it's just that I'm losing brain cells, but maybe it's something to this. But here's one thing I, I, I remember. I do know that starting a nonprofit uh, and having a large family was financially stressful at times, at times very financially stressful. But you know what I really remember? This is my big memory from finances was I can remember when we had a little financial stress and yet, you know, you always have to go buy kids shoes. You know, they outgrow them before you can <laughs> pay them off type of thing. But I think it was Karen would always ask the kids after I bought them a new pair of shoes, thanks, Dad. And really, that's what I remember. Um, that's what I appreciate. Thanks, Dad. Um, to me, it kind of colors all the stuff that was there. It was real. But thanks, Dad, is the memory that abides in my mind. And here's the biggie. Uh, I really love boating. Haven't done as much of it now living in South Carolina as I did in Florida. But uh, while living in Florida, uh, particularly when I was single, I almost lived on the water. And one thing I learned from my father is that you can have a lot of fun doing something in your sports and recreation life with your children. My dad would include us in his fun, um, in his sports activity, in his boating, and his fishing. And he didn't have to feel any compulsion to leave us to do that, to have a lot of fun doing it. In fact, with kids, it's probably a little bit more fun. So what I remember a lot from raising my kids is going boating with them. Now, in Florida, as you know, we were hit, you may not know, in 2004 with a major hurricane that ripped the radio studio roof right off the Family Life Center office and did very extensive damage to our home to the point that we had to move out of our home into a rental home. And thanks to a Catholic realtor friend, found us one of the last homes for rent after the hurricane that wasn't destroyed. And we ended up uh, in a nearby yachting community on the west coast of Florida. To this day, it's one of the premier yachting communities in the United States. And like if you picked up a current edition of Yachting Magazine, I didn't check this out, but I'm pretty sure you would find uh, this neighborhood advertised in Yachting Magazine, okay? Now, our boat was literally the humblest boat in this yachting community, okay? Uh, we were like the um, Beverly Hillbillies of yachting. 
And I remember one day my son came to me and started bugging me. He says, Dad, you know, looking around, I mean, there were just astronomically expensive boats all around this neighborhood, okay? And he said, Dad, let's get a bigger and better boat. And my response to my son was, if you can name one boat in this harbor that has more fun per foot than ours, I'll buy it. And that's the last I've ever heard of that, you know. And the the kids were very aware that we were having more fun per foot. Yeah, we, we didn't have these big, large, extensive boats, you know, two people in. Ours almost sink with putting all our kids in it. But that's what I remember from family life. And it was a joy for me to do it, but also for my kids. See, this whole thing works together. You don't, there's challenges, there's stresses, there are problems, but yet there are joys as well. Now, one of my daughters, not too long ago, had to have an EKG, and uh, it was her first time and, you know, anybody who's got one of these things for the first, even not even the first time, but, you know, they put these monitoring electrodes all over you and such. And as a result, her heart rate was way up, you know, unhealthy level. And the nurse very wisely said to her, uh, close your eyes and think of something really pleasant. And so my daughter closed her eyes and thought of our little hillbilly boat, and her heart rate came straight down. Now, see, that's the kind of thing that amidst all the struggles of family life, all the problems you encounter, all the stresses, okay, you don't need the parental pity party. Uh, These are things that literally can lower your heart rate. It was very interesting. I emailed my daughter last night asking her permission to share that story with you today because I don't want to put, I'm not a believer in Oprah. I think certain family things should stay within the family circle, but I asked her permission to share that story with you today. And she, because of certain things, has to have some every now and then an EKG, and she said, it still works. It still works. And you know, marriage and parenting and family life isn't a piece of cake. There are problems, challenges, and stresses, but there's also lasting fulfillment that can even lower your heart rate in a world longing for peace. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 333 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.